Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and what's going down there as we push to the draft. We'll be talking about the NBA and what's happening there. We'll be talking about the WNBA draft. We'll touch on Major League Baseball, and then we'll have our best for last. Now, remember, you can find the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and we have expanded our social media profiles. We are now out, as you know, on Twitter at Daytime Sports. And if you type that into Instagram, you will find that as well. So we are now on Instagram under the same handle at Daytime Sports, where I will be posting news and stuff of that nature. Same way I do on Twitter. So you have another source to support the show and all things will be on IG as well as Twitter. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty, guys, and welcome in to the show. A special Saturday morning edition of the show. Um, had a little technical difficulties yesterday. No big deal. Got it all figured out. And I want to make sure you guys get the content this week. So we are moving it to Saturday. No big deal. Get a little Saturday news and a little more updated information. Now, as you heard in the intro, we have expanded the show's social media profile to now include Instagram as well under the same handle as Twitter, which is at JTimesports. Uh, Instagram will be a little bit more of a picture-based situation. It may not have as much breaking news on it, just because IG and things of that nature, uh, it's a little bit slower of a non-breaking news cycle. However, we will post big stuff on there, including show updates, when a show is dropping, big signings, big acquisitions, big trades. We'll definitely go on IG. We'll try and keep that as, as updated as the Twitter page, but definitely keep your eye on the IG as well. Follow that. Make sure you have that information as well. But we are going to jump right into the NFL as obviously the draft is a mere few days away. The draft starts on April 9th, 29th. Sorry about the uh, misspeak. Uh, breaking news into the show, Donovan Mitchell's MRI on his knee. The Utah Jazz guard, uh, it showed no structural damage per Adrian Wojnarowski. And he is expected to miss several games, however, with his sprained knee. So obviously, that was a huge situation that people were watching for due to the fact of that it is big in terms of the NBA standings because Utah currently is the one seed. So with with Donovan Mitchell out several games, he the Utah Jazz cannot hold that spot. I mean, it's just it's not possible. Uh, I expect Phoenix to pass them. Maybe even the Clippers can catch it, depending on how many games he misses. Hold on, guys, just tweeting this information out. So I guess it's a break. I mean, um, Huge news in the NBA. Uh, again, no structural damage. So unlike Jamal Murray, who we'll talk about in the NBA segment, uh, Donovan Mitchell seems to have dodged a bullet there. So got that all taken care of. Got that all tweeted out. Like I said, follow the Twitter page. Follow the IG. I love breaking news. I love being all over that stuff. So definitely keep your eyes on that. 
But jumping back into the NFL, the big news really out of the day was, of course, the draft. Like I, like I said previously, right before the Mitchell news broke, the draft is all of 12 days away, give or take. It starts on the 29th. And so when you have drafts, obviously you have pro days. And Justin Fields and Trey Lance had second pro days. Now, these pro days weren't really pro days. They were more of team workouts cloaked as a pro day. So this offseason, you couldn't have individual team workouts. Normally, a guy would have his pro day. And then interested teams would invite that player to their facility, get it to the facility, meet with them, have a workout on the field. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Meet the staff, meet the barbers, meet the training crew, whatever. Get a feel of the building, get a feel of the area. They work out, they fly home. Well, this year and last year due to COVID restrictions, that's not a thing. So what players are doing instead to circumvent this is they have a quote unquote second pro day. Now in this second pro day, the team basically walks up to you and kind of says, hey, we'd like to see him do this. We'd like to see him do that. We'd like to see him roll left and see if he can throw a, a shot ball, you know, on the on the go. We'd like to see him roll right, pivot to back to his left and throw the out route. Things of that nature. You know, the the NFL coach has a lot of control or a lot of we'd like to see in terms of this pro day. So or they get, you know, they may text the coach. Hey, you know, what would you like to see? Justin Fields flipped his feet in his workout. So all season, his left foot had been back when the shotgun snapped. Now, it's a minor detail. However, it flipped in the second pro day to his right foot was back. Why does this matter? Because Kyle Shanahan quarterbacks, usually their right foot is back. Oh, his, I mean, his whole career, Justin Fields had his left foot back. This time, he flips it and his right foot is back. To the average fan... It means nothing. But to Kyle Shanahan, it shows, okay, he knows that all of my quarterbacks right footed back for whatever reason. He's never done it in his career, but for this workout, he knew I was coming. He flipped his feet. So again, it's just different of what foot dropped I me. Mean, it could be just a situation where the drop back's just a little bit different, where the footwork's a little bit different, where you might still try and pick your left foot up. I mean, it's just, it's different things that the flipping your feet being back changes in a quarterback. So showing that to Kyle Shanahan in person is trying to sway him to be a number three overall pick. That is huge. Trey Lance with his second pro day. No one, like, he has 17 games on film. The exact same amount as Mac Jones. And, but he played North Dakota State. So, I mean, same school as Carson went. So, obviously, that's top that comes from the school. Jabril Cox, who's one of the uh, top five linebacker prospects in the draft. He's from... LSU in the draft, but he started off in North Dakota State as well. There's other players they've put in the league. It's a situation where, let's be honest, we saw Justin Fields Saturday at the Big House. We saw Mac Jones Saturday at Tuscaloosa. We didn't watch Trey Lance Fargo in Fargo, North Dakota. We just didn't. He wasn't on the radar. Plus, he didn't play his junior year. He played his sophomore year, skipped his junior year. I thought I'd rather play one game in the spring. It wasn't great. And all the scouts wrote it off as it was a game where the whole world was watching. His goal ultimately was probably to not get hurt and throw that game out the window. We have we do have a sophomore tape of 28 touchdowns, zero interceptions. We have great decision making. 
we have we see the physical now we need to see if he could take instruction on the fly and go execute it and so his second pro day will be centered around that um is centered around that rather same thing as justin field's second pro day it's basically a team workout just cloaked on a second pro day to get around the nfl rules now as we talk about quarterbacks in the draft as we talk about prospects in this draft in general and we'll get a little bit more detail of guys um, next week. We'll definitely have more discussion about that. An interesting party in this thing is Mac Jones. Because, well, the mainstream media, bloggers, people of that nature, started pushing reports about Justin Fields. He doesn't throw to his second read. Yet, according to Pro Football Focus, he throws to his second read the most of any of the guys in the draft. You know who gets credit for being a full full field reader? Mac Jones. Mac Jones, according to Pro Football Focus, is out of the big five, the guy who throws to his first read the most. That's interesting. We got Justin Fields being portrayed as a guy who his decision making is a little off. Yet, Mac Jones is the only one out the group with the DUI. Well, that's interesting. We've got Justin Fields, people are questioning his dedication to the game. Well, Trevor Lawrence, family and high school coach, or even himself, is saying that football doesn't define my life. That's interesting. It, it seems as though a narrative is trying to be created around Justin Fields. Now, as a Patriots fan, I'm gonna be completely and totally honest with you. Push the hell out of this narrative if it gets them to fall to New England. I'm do what you gotta do. But as a football fan and just as a person in general, looking at that, it looks a little weird. We're just debunking theories and media narratives left and right off fact and off film. It's just very interesting the media narrative being pushed around Justin Fields. Now, speaking of Justin Fields, another media report came out. So, the past few weeks, I and others have been saying that, oh man, Mac Jones is San Francisco. Might as well book it. First three picks, we know the draft starts at four. Now, the draft may start at three. Now, if you're a team in the non-quarterback market, the draft for you still starts at four because you don't know what Atlanta's going to do, quarterback or no quarterback. Or is Atlanta even going to pick at four? But... For the first time in weeks, we have a report now that, oh, it's not a done deal. Remember we kept hearing it's not a done deal in San Francisco, but there was never an alternative. It was always Mac Jones is going to be the guy, or the report was it's not a done deal. The Shanahan's Mike and Mike and Kyle, along with John Lynch, are evaluating prospects. That was what we heard. That was the reports. That was what universally accepted. For the first time we have a report with the name and the name is Justin Fields. And that is the name that everybody thought when Trevor Lawrence obviously was going one. Then Zach Wilson and the Jets might as well get married because they're together. The third name everybody expected was okay. Justin Fields time. It was, it was just the natural fields. Well, maybe Kyle Shanahan was throwing a smoke screen and trying to get someone to make a move. Maybe maybe Shanahan 
isn't in love with Mac Jones as we thought because like I said, for the first time we have a name and it's Justin Fields being the wait, but wait, the Shanahan's like him as well. They were at his second pro day. They were apparently one of the bigger voices at his second pro day. They were one of the more communicative, more communicative, communicative with Ryan Day at the second pro day. So this was something very interesting that the 49ers all of a sudden have this big brazen interest in Justin Fields. Now, as far as the 49ers go, or as far as the Dolphins, not the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Jaguars go, it means nothing. As far as the 49ers go, there's no reason to smoke screen because you pick third. You know the first two picks. So if you want Mac Jones, you can just say you want Mac Jones. It could be a ploy of they could be hearing throughout the league. However, the Jets could be considering Mac Jones that the Jets could be considering um, Justin Fields. And if they talk Justin Fields up, they might make a move and take Justin Fields. Maybe the 49ers ultimately want Zach Wilson, and they figure if they can convince the Jets through the media that they're so in love with Justin Fields or so in love with Mac Jones, and Kyle Shanahan's reputation around the league is known. He's known as a guy who knows quarterbacks, who's a quarterback whisperer. So if he figures, if I can talk one of these guys up, the Jets may panic and the Jets may decide that they're going to take whoever, you know, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, they're going to take him because they know if he gets to Kyle Shanahan and they take the other guy that Kyle Shanahan has not talked about at all, they're going to look like doofuses if the guy works San Francisco, which considering you got George Kittle, that defense, Debo Samuel, and the rest of that crew, you're probably going to work. And your degree of work will be judged on how high your ceiling is, but your floor at San Francisco is Jimmy Garoppolo, so you're probably going to work. So maybe that's his ploy. But for, like I said, for the first time, we're starting to hear rational thoughts, which was Justin Fields may go to San Francisco instead of Mac Jones. Again, as a Patriots fan, that raises the probability that the Patriots draft Mac Jones, which, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to jump for building, but oh my goodness, uh, it's just depressing. But it does raise, now there's a little smoke in the Justin Fields fire. Most of the smoke still is Mac Jones. I'm hoping it's Mac Jones. Again, raises the probability of Justin Fields being a Patriot or Trey Lance. I'm good either way. But it is a very interesting, this is the first time we've got a name on the report. So that is huge. And again, a different situation. Now, I spoke about this just a little bit earlier, and I spoke about, well, I touched on it, Trevor Lawrence's comments about he's not totally dedicated to football. And it wasn't it wasn't that exactly. He basically said, he said, you know, football, I'm not, he said he thinks it's unhealthy to where you have to create chips on your shoulder and create animosity with others to compete. Okay. His dad and his high school coach said, Trevor's a good guy. If Trevor could leave, Trevor could leave football today and be okay. His life isn't defined by football. Now, I get that practically. I do. I understand you don't want your job to be your life because, you know, what happens when you leave that job? As an NFL quarterback, his best case scenario for longevity is Tom Brady. Tom Brady is probably going to play till he's 45, maybe 46 years old. Tom Brady's life expectancy is probably in the upper 80s, lower 90s. So for another 45 years, at least, he's going to have to figure out what he's going to do with his life outside of football. Football has been his life since he was probably 10. 
So for 35 years, he's going to do football, 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 football. And then for 45, he's not going to have anything to do with football besides maybe his son wants to play. And he becomes one of those coaching dads. And that's about the only connection to football he is possibly going to have for his life. I don't see Tom Brady being a commentator. I don't see, you know, I don't see him being a TV analyst. I don't see him being a talking head. I I don't see that. However, I do see something along the lines of him just being a regular Joe Schmo, but he's going to have to figure out something to do with his life outside of football. Trevor Lawrence is basically saying, look, I already have a life outside of football. I'll be okay. Now Brady will go into business. He's, you know, he'll be a, a dad. Giselle will finally have him at home. And it'll, it'll be fine. But Trevor Lawrence is saying, I have a life outside of the picks game. I get that in practical. I do. But if I'm going to hand you the keys of my multi-billion dollar establishment, I would like for you not to say it publicly. Say it to me. That's fine. I'm afraid to be honest with me. Personally, if I'm the owner, the GM, the coach, or Meyer, uh, Shad Khan being the owner, I would love it if you said it to me. If you said it to other people, I'm a little nervous. If you say it to me, I respect your honesty. Say it to others, I'm like, oh, cat stays in bag in public but there was a report out a story actually about um urban meyer being obsessive and trevor lawrence appearing not to be trevor lawrence has been cool since his whole life he's got the long hair he's six foot six he's got the golden arm he's been good his entire life urban meyer is obsessed he admitted it when he was doing uh, analyst work how the prep he would go through he would drive himself into heart problems. I mean, drive himself into obsessively. He would schedule victory dinners after games and miss the victory dinner because he was already working on the next game. He would miss everything during football season because he would get up at four in the morning, five in the morning, and be in the building all day. He would have to write notes to tell himself to eat three meals. I mean, he was obsessed with the game. And that's why I don't think he can fail in Jacksonville because we, we've seen no risk and no basically Bruce Arians succeed. We see guys who don't work nearly that hard. Andy Reid's all about his cheeseburgers. I mean, Andy Reid's dedicated as hell. But I'm saying we've seen guys have more fun than Urban Meyer's going to have and succeed. So Urban Meyer being obsessed because it, it, it being obsessed with 18, with 17 to 23-year-olds is different than being obsessed with 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds to 35, 36-year-olds because those 17-year-olds are trying to get books, trying to have girlfriends, trying to get their name on TV, get drafted. Those 27-year-olds have families, have kids in private school, and mortgages. So being completely obsessed with them and expecting them to be obsessed is a little different than a 19-year-old being completely obsessed just because they're playing for two different things. Playing for books and playing for mortgages and private school educations is two completely different levels. So I expect Urban Meyer to actually do pretty well in the NFL once he adjusts to the pro game, which he admitted he didn't watch because he was too obsessed with college football. So now he's even got 17 games. So he's been throwing a monkey wrench. He got a prep for 17 teams instead of prep for 16. This has been the longest prep he's ever had. Uh, you know, in college, it's 12 games, conference championship game. And I think he was around at the beginning of the playoff. But if he wasn't a playoff coach, he did 14 games. That was the end. Well, in the old times for the NFL, back, you know, last year, 16 games was the minimum made the playoffs it's 17 18 19 possibly even 20 
And so that is interesting to see how he will adjust to coaching that many games in a row, prepping that many weeks in a row, whether he'll burn himself out faster. We'll see. But back to Trevor Lawrence, if you can tell me you're not completely obsessed, I understand. I want you to be in business. I want you to be, you know, learning from these tech guys. I want you to be trying to figure out how to monetize yourself, build your brand, be in marketing, because the more we see your face, and the more I see Jacksonville Jaguars logo everywhere because of you, I'm happy as an owner. I'm making money. As a GM, I don't necessarily love it because basically my career is thanks to you. I don't necessarily love it. However, I get it. You know, I, I get there's 24 hours in a day. You sleep seven or eight of them to 16 hours. You play football for three and a half hours, study for another four and a half hours or three hours. What's that, six and a half hours? Six and a half plus eight, 14 and a half hours. You got basically 10 hours left of your day. So I get it. If you don't, if you're, if you say you're not completely obsessed with football, just don't tell anybody else. Didn't love those comments, but hell, he made them now. So at this point, we're just gonna have to see what is going on. Uh, speaking of the draft, so I've been looking at just some guys. I do a bunch of mock drafts, other mock drafts I'm studying, and I'm looking at four guys. I think I have quote-unquote rock potential. What does a rock do? It falls. Guys who can just absolutely fall. These guys are all possible top seven or eight picks, and it's very possible. There's very real scenarios. They end up in the teens or later. And so those guys are Devonta Smith, wide receiver Alabama. Just because when you go through, okay, quarterbacks go the first four, then the tackles start going off the board, He's not better than Jamar Chase. Jalen Wilder may project to be a better pro. Kyle Pitts is a better target than anybody in the draft. And then the defensive needs. So it's very possible Devontae Smith doesn't get picked until Washington. I mean, New England hasn't needed receiver. Maybe New England grabs him. But I'm saying, I mean, he may go from top 6, 7 to 15, 16, 17. Trey Lance. If you don't hit in those first four quarterbacks... You start falling, and then you get to maybe New England at 15, Washington, Chicago at 19, 20. You won't get past 20, but Trey Lance could fall. Justin Fields, same scenario. If you don't get in those first four, you don't hit New England, you might end up at 19, 20 with Chicago, Washington. And then Michael Parsons. He has the off-the-field questions. He didn't play last year. Defensively, linebacker isn't the biggest need in this draft. Edge rusher and corner. There's three great corners. There's three great offensive linemen. One very good one. There's obviously the group of five quarterbacks. And there's a couple of good pass rushers. Quiddy Payne, uh, Gregory Rosso. So there's a few guys in this draft where linebacker may get pushed to the back burner just from team needs. Think about it. First four picks the quarterbacks. The three offensive linemen in Vera Tucker and Slater and Sewell, and Sewell, Sewell are going in the first top 12, top 13. The, the cornerbacks, J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan, Caleb Farley, they're going off the board of top 15, 16. Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts going to take up two picks. Devonta Smith probably takes up another pick. Jalen Waddle probably takes up another pick. That's about, what, 16, 17 guys I've named and very real needs of none of them being a linebacker. Washington doesn't necessarily need a linebacker, neither Chicago. Now you're in the 20s. So do I see him being in the 20s? No, I don't see Michael Parsons being in the 20s. Is there a very real possibility he falls to the 20s? Absolutely. So 
those are guys with what I would like to call rock potential. And now we're going to shift to some NFL win totals I found interesting. So these win totals reflect the 17-game season uh, that they were put out. So they were not put out before the 16 games. They will. They do reflect the 17-game season. And some numbers I found incredibly interesting and incredibly juicy if I were a better. Which I am. Like we talk about on the show all the time. Hey, you know, Jack's pack was uh, last season. We're going to do a lot better this season. We got to do this in a week to get our life together. But if I'm betting on these numbers, I'm looking like, wow, this is easy. Remember, this is 17 games. So I'm going to say the full record to go with the game to make sure that you realize how yeah, some of these are. 10 wins used to be 10 and 6. It's now 10 and 7. And that would be the Indianapolis Colts are a 10 and 7 team, according to Vegas. The Los Angeles Rams, 10, 10 and a half, 9 and a half. You know, that's their record. 10 and a half, sorry, 6 and a half. That would be their record. Dallas, nine and a half wins. So nine and a half to eight and a half. Or yeah. The Cleveland Browns, same thing. Nine and a half wins. Patriots, nine and eight. Carolina, seven wins. Seven and a half wins. Houston, four and a half wins. So Houston's the only number of those I would go under. But looking at the Colts, on a one game less, 16 game season, they had a less talented quarterback in Phillip Rivers, and they went 13 wins or 12 wins. One of the two. Colts being 10, that's too easy of a bet. The Los Angeles Rams, 10 and a half. Again, they did better than that with a less talented quarterback in Jared Goff for one less game. Now they upgrade to Matthew Stafford. Too easy. Go over on the Rams. Dallas, nine and a half. Phillies, two easy wins. The Giants are split. Washington's a split. So you've got four wins in the division. And you tell me they're only going to win five games the rest of the year. Yeah, go over on Dallas. I don't have a lot of faith in Dallas, but go over on that. Cleveland has the second best roster in football, probably behind, right, Tampa Bay's one, Cleveland's fighting for two with Kansas City, Cleveland only get nine and a half wins, I mean, that's a shot at Baker, if anything, but definitely need to up that, I mean, nine and a half, I mean, think about it, they just added Jadavion Clowney, <laughs> so you got Jadavion Clowney on one side, Miles Garrett, you upgraded with John Johnson as your safety, you get Denzel Ward back, you get, um, the pick out of LSU. Greedy Williams, he's back. Baker's another year in the system. You still got Chubb and Hunt. You still have Hooper and Joku. You still have Odell's back. You still got Jarvis Landry. And you get nine and a half wins? I mean, that's a shot at Baker, if anything. But, yeah, that, look, that seems easy. Patriots with nine wins. There are two plays from nine wins last season with no weaponry and one less game and Cam having COVID. No COVID this situation. You have more weapons. You have John o. Smith. You have Hunter Henry. You have, uh, I can't think of his name right now. They assigned a couple of receivers. The defense is back from the opt-outs. And you give them nine? And they're playing on, what, the third place schedule? And you give them nine? Uh, that seems a little low. Carolina, again, I think I had about seven wins last year with Teddy Bridgewater. Now you get Sam Darnold, who I think is a little better than Bridgewater. Well, was a lot better talent than Bridgewater. And seven and a half, that feels low, especially with Drew Brees leaving the Saints. You should split that game. Tampa probably lose two twice. You lose those two. It is what it is. Atlanta, you split. That's two wins. You said, I mean, they can't get six the rest of the schedule. Uh, that feels a little low. And Houston, four and a half. And they're not going to make four and a half wins. Unless Deshaun Watson plays, they're not going to get four and a half. So I think that is an easy bet for the under. 
now we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down there. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back into the show. And now we're going to jump right into the NBA. And as always, we're going to take a look at those standings and see how the NBA is shaping up right now. Out east, we've got Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Boston, New York, Miami, Charlotte, Indiana, Toronto. And out west, we have Utah, Phoenix, the Clippers, Denver, Lakers, Portland, Dallas, Memphis, Golden State, San Antonio. So, as you guys heard a few minutes ago, uh, breaking news was that Donovan Mitchell's MRI was negative. Last night, we learned his x-ray was negative. So, it's just a sprained ankle. It's a low ankle sprain, which is not what LeBron James is going through right now. The high ankle, the high ankle, the high ankle sprain is very concerning. That's the kind of thing that knocks you out four weeks, five weeks. A low ankle sprain is what you did as a child. You rolled your ankle over, and it was a little tender for a couple days, but you played on it mostly. It didn't stop you from living life. You kind of did what you wanted to do. That's pretty much what Donovan Mitchell was at. Now, us being 11 on the on the playground, turning our ankle over, or even on the court, turning our ankle over, is a little bit different than Donovan Mitchell doing it, uh, being a professional athlete and all. But he... He's going to miss a few. He's going to miss several games, according to Adrian Wozanowski and our Twitter page. Uh, he's going to miss several games there. So that is the breaking news into the show. Um, obviously, we know Jamal Murray blew his ACL um, when he went up for his injury. When he went up for his layup, rather, suffered his uh, season-ending injury with a torn ACL. That's about a 12-month recovery. So. I mean, anywhere from 6 to 12, depending on the severity of the tear. Let's call it 9. That places him coming back uh, February? January of next year? I mean, right around, I mean, December, January. Uh, doing the math right in my head. December, January, that puts him coming back. So, that'll be mid-season by the time he's really running back on the court. So, that's why late season injuries are such a pain. That's why when Klay Thompson popped the Achilles in the finals, it knocked him out of the whole next season because there was no chance he uh, popped his meniscus, rather, in the finals because they pretty much knocked him out the whole next season. And that's what Jamal Murray is with his torn ACL. Six to 12 months puts him in danger of missing the start of next season, probably missing the first half of next season, or a little bit less than half, and then trying to get geared up for the playoffs. So that is... Uh, tragic. That was sad to see. Uh, you saw it on impact when he left the ground. Uh, you saw it immediately that uh, something's wrong. You see the knee basically implode. I mean, you saw it shake when he left the ground. So that was sad to see. It really hurt to watch. Such a good young man. Um, such a great player, especially in the playoffs. He seems to turn up. And that hurt to see uh, Jamal Murray. And then the shocker of the week is LaMarcus Aldridge retiring. Uh, wow, that came out of left field. Uh, uh, according to LaMarcus Aldridge, he had a irregular heartbeat after, during the game of April 10th and said that when he got home, it was worse. And it said it freaked him out. Rightfully so, man. Your heart's not beating how your heart normally beats. 
rightfully so, and he decided for the first time in his life to put health over basketball, to put something over basketball. He said he spent his whole life, quite a statement, he spent his whole life, past 15 years, putting basketball over family, basketball over health. And so he decided to do the right thing and put his health over basketball. Um, the immediate question, is he a Hall of Famer? I would say yes, because it's the Basketball Hall of Fame. You know, he's a seven-time All-Star, which same he's been a seven-time Pro Bowler. He was a 14th, four-time All-Pro, um, All-NBA rather, instead of being an All-Pro, All-NBA. He has several franchise records for the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Damian Lillard said we should go ahead and put the 12 in the Raptors. Nobody's ever wear it again for the Blazers. Um, he's a Portland legend. Didn't live up to what he was supposed to be in San Antonio. Pop deemed him basically as the next Duncan, and it just didn't work. Because um, all just basically rejected it upon arrival. And so is he a Hall of Famer? I, I would say yes. Maybe he's not a slam dunk first ballot by any mean, but Lamarcus Aldridge being a basketball Hall of Famer, that feels right. That feels right. Perfect culmination to his career. He was never the best big man in basketball. You know, at no point in his career was he considered the power forward in basketball, but he was always in that top three or four. And I feel like if you're a top three or four guy at your position, I mean, he was making all star teams in Portland through the primes of some really deep, good bigs. Because um, 15 years, what's that, 2006, 2007? I mean, that's Dirk. That's the backside of KZ, even though he's in Boston. That's Paul Gasol, it's Andrew Bynum. Um, there's a few other good bigs out west. My brain is failing me at the moment. Um, but yeah, he. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Tim Duncan uh, being the big one. I, I believe that He's a Hall of Famer. I have, if, if, I, if it was up to me, Lamarcus Aldridge again, by no means he a slam dunk first ballot, no brainer Hall of Famer, and it being the Basketball Hall of Fame helps him a little more than it would um, the Football Hall of Fame because we're getting the Julian Edelman case now in football, where he's really got a hell of a postseason resume, resume, and it's not particularly amazing in the regular season. I mean, uh, Dion Branch actually has better numbers. But his postseason resume is insane, so that's a debate. If it was basketball, he'd probably be in. Although he's getting Derek Fisher comparisons, so I don't think Derek Fisher's ever gonna get in. But uh, Julian Edelman, that case is a lot harder to make in football than it would be in basketball. Marks all just move on the Calvin Johnson track to getting in the Hall of Fame. But um, definitely a hell of a career. Congratulations to Lamarcus Aldridge. Um, on an amazing career. I'm so glad they found it. I'm so glad he listened to his body. Um, apparently, according to one report I've seen, he'd been diagnosed with it his rookie year, but it was never an issue. And I guess the older age, putting the stress on his body, etc., cetera, stuff like that, jumped the heart a certain way. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a medical expert. So um, I'm glad he chose his health uh, and his life over his career. Again, congratulations on a hell of a career. And enjoy retirement, big fella. Uh, you know, from University of Texas, he's made hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm sure of it. So enjoy retirement. Live a long and healthy life. Um, I, the shifting gears to his team, or his former team, I am not selling my net stock. I never really bought a whole lot, I guess. But if I, was, if I had a bunch of net stock, I'd be selling it. This feels like 
not dodge coin, but dodge coin. Like it's gonna reach a peak and then just bottom out with the next. I don't get it. And the more I see, the more I'm less loving it. In perfect honesty. Well, Lamar just retired. And that was supposed to be the guy he's gonna bang with Drummond and etc. He just retired. DeAndre Jordan, you low-key alienated because of LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. You want to play them down the stretch. Took DJ off the floor. That ain't great. The big three never plays together. One's always hurt or out. So they only play like four or five games together. It's something like 178 minutes they've been on the floor at the same time. Kevin Durant is... I don't know what's going on with that situation. He's still trying to come back up his injury. Kyrie Irving is a basket case. James Harden is currently hurt and he's legitimately hurt because he's a guy that he's, he's not a rest guy he, he plays unless he physically can't go he plays you don't play defense andre drummond you can't stop for some reason he's three and zero against you and the first two was again was he was in cleveland and the and the third one he didn't have lebron and ad and with the lakers so he's beating you three times without lebron and anthony davis what is happening? Like the Nets don't make sense. It's it. It feels like the Clippers, when the Clippers have all that talent. Oh my God, they're gonna run through the air. It didn't work. It feels like the Lakers when they had Dwight and Nash and Kobe and Powell, and that was gonna be it. Didn't work. No team besides the 01 Lakers have ever had a bottom fifth, a bottom half defense and won the championship. Wonder why the 01 Lakers had a bottom half defense to win the championship? Because the previous year before that, they ran through the NBA and had the number one defense. Then they packed it in pretty much all season. And in the playoffs, they had the 08 number one defense as they went 16 and 1 in the playoffs. Yeah, the Lakers could play defense. They just didn't. Shaq and Kobe was like, look, let other people do that. Like, uh, like. Like Derek Fisher and Rick Fox and uh, the rest, and you guys figure that out on defense. We're gonna save ourselves for the playoffs. The playoffs come, they went back to Lockdown City. The Lakers had the people to play defense. James Harden is nobody's defender. The best defense out of the main player, the best defender out of the main player is Kevin Durant. You're not gonna put him on the other team's best player because you'd burn him out for offense. James Harden is nobody's defender. Kyrie Irving doesn't play defense. Kevin Durant, you're not going to make him play defense because he's your best scorer. DeAndre Jordan really can't really bang anymore. Blake Griffin's never been a great defender. Lamarck's all just retired. Nick Claxton is used to see you on offense. Bruce Brown, he can play a little bit, but who's he going to guard on the Lakers? And Joe Harris is going to guard somebody? So your plan is to outscore your way to a championship. They are on pace to be the number one offense in history. The Dallas Mavericks was the number one offense in history last year and got bounced in the first round. Why? They couldn't make a stop. They, they When they needed to make a stop, they couldn't. Now, explain what the circumstances. KP got tossed. I mean, KP got, yeah, KP got tossed, then he got hurt. So if Porzingis doesn't get tossed and hurt, maybe Dallas wins that series. But, hey, no amazing offense has ever won uh, a championship the phoenix suns coached by the brooklyn nash the brooklyn nets current head coach steve nash used to break the efficiency record like every year or was right around the record every year 
and didn't win because they couldn't guard assault. They, they didn't play defense all year. So they couldn't guard anybody and they would lose series because the other team, if they figured it out, could slow you down. Now you can't guard anybody and guess what? You're bounced out of the playoffs. So the Nets have problems that I don't think they're really able to fix. I don't think it's necessarily possible. The Los Angeles Lakers, speaking of a team I am buying stock in, I do believe they're going to go back to back. Anthony Davis has been cleared for full on-court activity. So that means, I mean, he's on the injury report again. Like it used to be he was out, nobody even looked at it. People are acknowledging when he's on the injury report. We saw this with Kevin Durant. When he was a few games, he was a couple of games away, he started, it started being news that he was out. You know, because now they're saying AD can return this weekend. Uh, Vogel's already said that he'll play in bursts. Uh, similar to what Zion went through with the Pelicans pretty much his whole rookie year, playing in bursts just to be in condition. You know, Vogel's already said he'll play in, you know, maybe he'll be on a hard restriction of 15 to 20 minutes, and he'll play in four or five minute bursts. So you might see him for, he'll start the game, and he'll play to the eight minute mark. He's done in the first quarter. And then he'll come in second quarter, and he'll play from 10 minute mark to the six minute mark, and he's done. So he'll play on minute bursts. And he may, Vogel may look up and say, you know, he's only played 13 out of his 20 minutes entering the fourth quarter. Okay, cool. This is a seven point game with eight minutes left. Get him back on the floor. He's got eight minutes to play with. Let, let, let him play the rest of the game. You know, we've seen that with Lonzo Ball last night at the Pelicans. He was on a hard minutes restriction. So when they got to overtime, Lonzo couldn't play because he was on a hard minutes restriction. I mean, he was. I mean, he looked miserable. I mean, the guys always do. Zion would get upset at it as well. Um, but that, that's the way the NBA does it. That's the way the NBA does it. They, you're on a minute restriction, they pull you. And so, as yeah, it'd be very interesting how they manage Anthony Davis and his minute restriction. How they balance it out. Uh, how they play with the minutes, make sure he plays in all four quarters and in the biggest moments. Maybe they balance it out. Now, AD is coming back. LeBron's not too far behind. Uh, I'm hearing anything from a week behind to two weeks behind. But when AD comes back, and then expect LeBron within the next seven to ten days following that. And then he'll be on the court probably in a similar situation. Now, LeBron probably won't be as stringent in his minutes restriction because, A, LeBron was an ankle sprain. It wasn't. Like, Anthony Davis possibly has small micro tears in his Achilles tendon calf area. LeBron had an ankle sprain. So once the ankle sprain is healed, if you feel fine, keep playing. It's not like, obviously they won't play him 36 minutes tonight his first night. Um, but 28 to 30 minutes is very possible because, again, it was an ankle sprain. So as long as his wind is fine, the rest of him should be okay. There was no other damage. It was just a high ankle sprain. And so uh, when AD comes back this weekend, maybe early next week, LeBron, like I said, about seven to ten days after that is the expectation. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers on a roll, often without their best players. Uh, they finally lost last night to a very game team. They finally, uh, like I said, lost, but they uh, to the Sixers. But they have been playing really well. Sands, Kawhi, and PG—they've been winning games. You know, they are playing really well. Jason Tatum's going crazy in Boston right now. Uh, Steph is losing his mind. 
his last few games have been insane. He's had a 10 point, he's had a 10-3 game and then followed by an 11-3 point game. I mean, the dude is going crazy right now. Steph's losing his mind. Uh, Zach Levine will miss a few games due to health and safety protocols, which is going to put a damper on Chicago's playoff play-in chances even because they were 10th last night. And now they're 11th, and Toronto's starting to pick up steam. So maybe they don't make the play-in tournament. Uh, speaking of the play-in tournament, Mark Cuban, Dallas Mavericks owner, very outspoken. Uh, he's also on Shark Tank, owns a lot of businesses. He said that, oh, the play-in was a bad idea. Interesting. When the play-in tournament was proposed, it was voted on unanimously. It wasn't a split vote. It wasn't, you know, there's 30 owners. It wasn't 17 to 15 or 17, 13. You know, it wasn't 16 to 14. It wasn't 15, 15. And the commissioner said yes, so they went with it. Oh, no, 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 no. That wasn't what happened. It was voted on every single owner, all 30, whether that be Jamie Buss, whether that be Dan Gilbert, whether that be Mark Cuban, whether that be Joe Lacob, every single owner said yes to the playing tournament. Interesting. Mark Cuban was one of the is one of the louder voices in the NBA. When he talks, the other owners listen. Now he says, "Oh, the plan was a bad idea." So I thought that's weird, kind of weird timing. Not too far away from the plan, he's had no real injuries, so it's not like he's saying injuries are hurting his team. I mean, he's had injuries earlier in the season. KP was coming back. They had a COVID bad COVID outbreak through the organization. You know, but I'm thinking, odd is not like, you know, what could be driving Mark Cuban? I've watched Shark Tank enough to know he didn't say anything without a purpose. I've, I've, I've known him in the media enough to know he's never said anything without a purpose, without a point. Why would Mark Cuban say such a, oh, he's the seventh seed. That's why he would say such a thing like that, because a playing tournament can hurt him. See, Dallas was projected when the tournament was voted on. Dallas was projected to be a 9, I think as low as 10, as high as like 7 or 8. Seed. What are you thinking? Okay, 7 to 10, that's 4 spots. 2 would be in the playoffs, 2 wouldn't be. I have a 50% chance of being in the play-in. Let's vote for it. Because he's thinking if I'm 9 or 10, I can, we can get our way in the play-in. Just play, we can clearly play our way in. As the 7 seed, you could very well easily be the seventh seed and end up as the ninth or the tenth seed with the ninth seed de facto and no longer have the ability to be in the NBA playoffs. Well, Mark Cuban, you already voted on unanimously. Nothing you're going to say this year is going to save your seventh place team from possibly being in the play-in tournament. So guess what? Just deal with it. Make sure your team ends up the sixth seed or they win one of the two games they're going to have to play in the play-in tournament. All you got to do and you'll be in the play-in, and you'll be A-OK. You'll be in the playoffs, you'll be A-OK. You'll be hosting playoff games all over again. But, very smooth move, Mark Cuban. I ain't mad at you. It was a very smart decision. Very uh, tactful in your decision-making. So, good job. But up next, we're going to shift to the WNBA and talk about their exciting draft. Alrighty guys, so welcome back in. 
And now we're going to talk about the WNBA draft, which was incredibly exciting. Uh, the ratings were through the roof. It was their second highest watched draft, I believe, in the past 10 years. So big news for the WNBA. Like I said, guys, um, as a WNBA supporter, I'm a big one. I love the W. If we want this league to grow, we're going to have to support it. We're going to have to watch the draft. We're going to have to watch games, buy jerseys, get merchandise, go to games with the team in your city. If you're in a city where a game is being played, take your take your wife and your kids, you know, a professional basketball game. I, I plan on trying to get to a couple games this season. Like I said, there's a team in your city. Definitely go make that move. It is a great, it's a great thing on TV. So if it's a good product on TV, it's usually a good product in person. I've never been to a sport where I'm like, oh, it's better on TV. Nope. Football's better in person. Basketball's better in person. Baseball's better in person. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's just the truth. The, the sport is better in person than it is on TV. So if you enjoy it on TV, if you think it's okay on TV, it's better in person. Go to a game, support a team. If you aren't a big WNBA fan and you're trying to get into the sport, pick a team at random and support that team. You know, if you want to pick a winner, you want to pick a team contend for a title. There's a few of those this year. You've got Vegas, you've got Phoenix, you've got Seattle, you've got Washington, you've got uh, Chicago. Obviously, you've got a lot of teams. I'm probably missing a couple, man, that can really go and compete for a title this season. Connecticut's no slouch. Um, you know, like I said, the last two times we've seen Seattle healthy, they've won a championship. The last time we seen Elena Dillard on the floor, she was holding up a WNBA title as well. Uh, playing for Washington. Uh, like I said, Chicago goes as Candace Parker. Obviously, Vegas makes their moves with uh, Chelsea Gray. And Liz Cambage is back after opting out. You've got Minnesota making a couple of moves as well. Uh, and their coach, Cheryl Reeves, never want to be down long. Sandy, Brond Sandy Brondello in Phoenix as their head coach. She's got her big three back for another year together on the floor with Brittany Griner, Skylar Diggins-Smith, and Diana Taurasi. This season is going to be great. Like I said, Vegas gets their group back, and then they add Cam Beige back in the mix. So if you're not a, a guy, a fan of the W, man, woman, child, become a fan. It's good basketball. It's good high-quality basketball. If you're a youth basketball coach, I would put on WNBA film to teach. It's a, it's plays. It's not just backdoor cut lobs. It's not just being, you know, step back threes. It's plays, mid-range jump shots, post-ups, post-moves. It's basketball. In the very traditional sense of the word, it is basketball. So it is huge. And obviously, we got the next crop of superstars entering the WNBA draft. And, it, and it's right off the backs of the most watched final four for a women's tournament in a while uh the, the most watched championship game for a women's tournament in a while uh women's basketball in the wnba uh college women's basketball and the wnba rather are two of a very select few sports that went up and ratings wise nba was down nfl was down hockey was down soccer was down men's college basketball was down college football was down women's basketball Professional and collegiate, we're up. It's got to be showing something to the TV partners. It's got to be showing something to, you know, the sport in general. It's, it's giving more credit to the women. I mean, the WNBA, we're on the front lines as they always are in front of the social justice movements. And women's college basketball, we're not too far behind. Um, so definitely something huge to look out for. But like I said, the next group of women superstars into the WNBA arrived.
through the draft and they start off with number one pick Charlie Collier for the Dallas Wings. Now, Charlie has been the presumptive number one pick. She's from the Texas uh, for a while now. The six foot five big, well, she's a center. She's listed as center. She's probably center power forward. She's probably center in the WNBA, however. She is a double, a walking double double. I'd probably have her as my rookie of the year because she's going to be playing off Arike Ogumbawale in Dallas, who broke the WNBA single season scoring record, scoring 22.3 points a game. Uh, which is the record for a single season. So Arike is going to have a guy, a lady in Charlie Collier, rather, who can produce. Like I said, she's six foot five. She's got an athletic family. Her brother's currently an offensive lineman at USC. And so this is an athletic family, you know? And she is a future star in this league. And Dallas had a lot of picks in the first round. They picked three in the top five as they went a lot cooler uh, with the second pick. Uh, the She's from Finland by way of, uh, I want to say Sudan. That's not right. But she's from Africa originally. She was born there, and she's but she claims Finland because she's been same thing with Giannis. Giannis is from Greece by way of Nigeria. Um, so she is from Finland by way of, I don't know why Sudan's in my head, but it's probably not Sudan. I apologize if it's not, uh, but, but by way of Africa as well. She's only 19. Uh, which is a rarity because if you look at the college basketball system here, the girls don't leave early. Uh, the players do not leave early. And so when they leave early, it's foregoing their senior year. She's from Finland. She's 19. But she has kind of the Dirk um, path to greatness where we started seeing her on the international circuit. Uh, I remember uh, Ramona Shelburne saying that she was told three years ago by a scout when Awak was only – 16 that she's the next like she's coming from finland uh she wrecked the some under 16 u uh, uh, some under some u16 tournaments rather uh internationally she's dunks you know they show a video of her dunking a few times in her past season like she's only 19 so and her suga dedicates to the game she went from she played a game <laughs> that morning of the draft and drove and turned and changed and got set up to be to watch the WNBA draft. So that is huge for Dallas as well. Another big player. Uh, I think she's a 6'4", 6'5"-ish herself. So the front line of the Dallas Wings is now set. You have Awak and Charlie to do what you have to do there. The number three pick was Ari McDonald uh, out of Stanford. And she went to the Atlanta Dream to... I assume get Kennedy Carter off the ball. Now, Kennedy Carter is another scorer. I expect her to try to break or possibly break the WNBA single single scoring record herself. She's an absolute bucket. Um, and Aaron McDonald played her way, way up in the draft. She was, she was probably a top 10 pick prior to the NCAA tournament, but she played her way to number three uh, due to her NCAA tournament performance all the way through the championship game. You know, she gets to go to Atlanta to, like I said, probably take Kennedy Carter off the ball. Kennedy Carter is an assassin, but if she's worried about running the offense, it may limit her ability to just put the ball in the hole. You put McDonald on the floor. That's your true point guard. Now Kennedy can worry about just scoring. There'll be a little challenge defensively. Both are smaller guards, but they will try and just, I guess, outscore people their way to victory. The Indiana Fever take Kaiser Gondrek. Gondrek. I can't pronounce that last name. Again, my apologies. Um, 
she's an absolute scorer as well out of West Virginia. Nice handle. We, we've seen that her video went viral where she crossed the girl coming around the screen, knocked down the jumper. She has an, a great handle and a great shot. So, Indiana, you had um, your superstar for a long time in Tamika Catchings. Hopefully, Kaiser will be the next one for you in Indiana. And the fifth pick was Chelsea Dungy for the Dallas Wings as well. So, at Dallas had, like I said, three of the top five. They're the first team ever to have the number one, number two picks in the drafts. And I think they did well on their picks. Um, just some other big names that went. Uh, Dee Dee Richards ended up being selected in the second round uh, by the New York Liberty, if memory serves me correctly off the top of my head. Uh, so they get a star name to go next to Sabrina Ionescu. And so it is going to be a very interesting WNBA season. The draft was fun. It was still virtual. And honestly, I'm going to be honest. So the NFL draft felt a little, yeah, when, when it was virtual. Because the big moment with Roger Goodell, and then, you know, they're in person this year, so that's going to be huge. I wonder how they're going to do the handshake jersey exchange. Uh, that'll be huge. Um, that'd be different. That'd be interesting to see. It's in Cleveland. Um, you know, the NBA draft felt a little, yeah, with it being virtual. You know, you didn't, you didn't hang a moment with Adam Silver. And in the WNBA draft as well, you didn't hang a moment with, Kath, with Kathy Engelbert. But at the same time, it was cool to see these young ladies' families because you don't you don't get a lot of media attention for the WNBA and women's college basketball in general. So it was very cool to see them with their family celebrating and hearing their stories. Now, I would love... Now, again, drafts are better in person. They always are. But the WNBA, to my opinion, has had the best virtual drafts so far. With the family reactions, with uh, Holly Rowe. I said Mona Shelburne earlier. My apologies. Holly Rowe. Uh, speaking to the players right after they're drafted and their families. And again, that's, that was cool last year. You were surrounded by a lot more family than you would have been in a draft setting. Um, but the WNBA has done an amazing job of the virtual draft so far. So kudos to them. But up next, we're going to shift to baseball for just a quick second, just to touch on the standings and some stories that are sticking out early in the season. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. And like I said, now we're going to touch on the MLB, Major League Baseball, and what's going down there. Just a quick look at the top six teams. If the season were to end today, how would they shake up in the playoffs? Uh, you've got the Red Sox at one, just like everybody predicted, right? The Red Sox are the best team in the, in the AL. Everybody saw that coming. <laughs> You've got the Mariners at two, the Royals would be three, and then the Angels would be four, the Indians would be five, and Oakland would be six. And on the National League side, the Dodgers, best team in baseball, would be one, the Mets would be two, Cincinnati would be three, the Giants would be four, the Brewers would be five, and the Philadelphia Phillies would be six. So, coming into the season, full season, full-fledged, everybody was back. It was pretty much like Yankees, Dodgers, Astros, everybody else. It's kind of what it felt like nationally. Uh, Maybe not the Astros as much, but it was Dodgers and Yankees uh, kind of were semi-separated from the pack. Dodgers separated from everybody uh, with their roster. That thing is monstrous. They're 12-2 this season. They're going insane right now. 
um, they may break 110 wins. I mean, that roster is absurd. They are definitely the World Series favorite. If I was them, I would take a look at what the pandemic did last year for Kershaw. And every third schedule start, scratch Kershaw to where, you know, he gets bigger breaks. You know, don't take him out for three, four weeks, have to get his rhythm back. But every, like I said, every third schedule start, scratch Kershaw. So every 15 days, that 15-day break turns into a 20, 25-day break. He'll still start, you know, instead of starting 40 games or instead of starting 35 games, he'll start 26 games, you know. But it'll be an opportunity for him to save his arm a little bit if I'm the, if I'm the Dodgers. I secure that Clayton Kershaw doesn't burn himself out, doesn't workhorse himself, you know, 400 innings or something like that. And, you know, he makes sure that he's ready to go in the postseason. We've seen what his performance is like when he has break, when he has rest. So every third, like I say, every third schedule start, sit him down. Bring up, bring up a guy from AAA to pitch or shorten rotation just a little bit. But, yeah, every third start, sit Clayton Kershaw. That's what I would do if I'm the Dodgers to try and make sure that because they're going to win their division. They're going to probably be the number one or number two seed in the playoffs. So don't burn Kershaw out. The AL East is the division I want to talk about. I'm a Yankees fan. Yeah, it is what it is. So being that I'm a Yankees fan, I'm a little disappointed in our start so far. For the first time in like 12 years, something like that, the Yankees own by themselves the worst record in the conference. Now, again, it's anywhere from 12 to 15 games into a 162-game season. But there is some concerning signs along with the Yankees. It feels very analytically driven. It's either a strikeout or a homer. It feels, um, you know, they're already having injury bugs. It just feels like it's not it's, it's going to go badly for the Yankees this season. I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping that, you know, the, uh, the Yankees get it turned around. But guys like, you know, the Red Sox are number one. The Red Sox were supposed to be the rebuilding team. They're the number one team in the conference, or in the league, rather. And they were supposed to be in the rebuilding stage. I mean, they traded away Mookie Betts for pieces. And, you know, they were trying to just get their life back together and get back ready to roll to be a Red Sox contender. And it looks like they're ahead of schedule. The new owner of the Mets was not kidding when he said he wanted to be at the top. He said he wanted to be at the top fast. And the Mets are the best team in New York right now. Second best team in the NL. You have the Mariners, who are the second best team in the AL right now. That is huge. Um, Oakland is a good team. Now, this, Oakland was supposed to, by now, have Kyler Murray on the on the big league roster. You can think about it. He's entering his third season in the NFL. He, he was a really good prospect, probably spent a year and a half, maybe two years in the minors, and his third season when he gets to the majors. So this team was supposed to have Kyler Murray on the main roster as well. However, now, you know, obviously he's the, Car- he's the Arizona Cardinals quarterback, but now Oakland is starting to come up as well. So very interesting just to look at the baseball standings right now. Um, like I said, just as you predicted, the Red Sox are the number one seed in the, in the AL. Just as everybody called it. And so that is something we're going to definitely keep an eye on on the show. Baseball won't be a main topic for us every week. Um, probably not for the next couple of weeks, in all honesty, because of, you know, so many games. And then they really take over the TV during the summer. So baseball will be a main topic during the summer. But as of 
you know, today, I feel like we touched it on baseball. We hadn't touched it on them since the opening day. Also, Jackie Robinson Day, my favorite day in baseball. Jackie Robinson Day, uh, celebrating the, the day that Jackie Robinson officially broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball, becoming the first African-American player to play in Major League Baseball um, for the Brooklyn Dodgers at the time. It's, it's the day where it, for 42s are all over the league. Obviously, 42 is, is not banned. It is retired for everybody. It's honored. Nobody in the league can wear 42 ever again, except for on Jack Robinson Day, where everybody wears 42. There's no name on the back. It's just 42. Um, so that is a beautiful day in baseball. Usually, ironically, there's a fight every year. <laughs> On Jackie Robinson Day, so that is always interesting because he was picked. Lots of people say he was selected to be the first person to break it because he wouldn't fight. There were better players in the Negro Leagues than Jackie Robinson. Uh, some would say considerably better, especially pitchers and things of that nature were uh, better pitchers than Jackie Robinson was a fielder. But those guys weren't gonna sit there and take what Jackie Robinson took. You know, being spiked uh, by players and fans and media and teammates they weren't going to take it the way Jack Robinson took it and kept playing baseball and so Jack Robinson ultimately was selected to be that person because he was a generally good nice person um so that is always my favorite day in baseball I love Jack Robinson day uh I need to give me one of those jerseys <laughs> um but that is what we have for baseball today and we're going to now shift to our best for last, which is going to be a discussion about Mamba Day. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back in. And best for last, this week's going to be about Kobe Bean Bryant. Uh, five years ago, uh, April 15th, it was Mamba Day. You know, it was Mamba Day. It was his last game ever as a Laker or ever as an NBA player in general. It was Mamba Day. You know, Sports Center was showing Kobe highlights all week, basically. Um, he was starting to rest games to have his one big last hoopla, but he even showed he started showing flashes. It was like he knew it was coming. He was trying to get those last shots in. He would have like little spurts. He'd score eight, 10 points in a row. Then he'd score 14 points all game or you know the ice packs started becoming less and less remember the famous photos of Kobe with the big ice packs on his knees and the shoulder and he had some wrapped around his stomach and his ab area and his feet would be doing I mean it was he looked like a terminator made out of ice bags towards in his career and close to that last game those ice packs started getting less and less and we all know what happened on the original Mamba Day 60 points, beat the Jazz, scores like the last like 14 or 16 points, including two free throws to get to 60. Uh, Shaq told him, Shaq told the story of, yeah, I told him to go get 50, and that MF for win got 60. It was absolutely spectacular to see. I, I remember I'm in my room yelling, Kobe! Every time he hits a shot, I mean, it was insane to watch. Uh, the famous video of Kobe looking back at his family uh, after he gets the 60 and kind of just chuckling to himself, like laughing. I mean, it was just, uh, you. I mean, you, you didn't see that side of Kobe. And they were saying that whole last season, 
you would see you saw smiling like happy joyous kobe like who is this human like who is this human side that we're getting to see it's not just this ultimate killer terminator mamba it is a person under there you know with actual emotions actual feelings actual anything besides i'm gonna kill you on the court so people were saying like it was so amazing to see this side of him um that we didn't get to see before and so you know he was he laughed and was like um he told his kids that yeah daddy used to do this all the time <laughs> you know this is, you you've never seen it but daddy used to do this all the time like he would he would have game I mean, we have the 81 we have this trick where he scored like 40 points for x amount of games in a row i mean he used to do this all the time he's like it was good it felt really good for him that his kids got to see him play like that before he retired um, and so now mom did carry a special meaning you know when that game come and that the whole situation from the pre-game from the post-game from the pre-game with the 80 24 on the floor um to the post game when he said mamba out i mean i mean to the like i said 60 points and that game meant something to utah it wasn't like they were playing charlotte where the game didn't matter nobody cared etc you know like it was just it was basically gonna be a game to see how many points kobe can get to i think the over under kobe for that night was something like the 20s you know, and even then, and there was people were saying like, "Oh, what's the odds he gets a 30? And people were like, "I can even get a thirty. What's the odds of getting a forty? Uh? And it was like, "No, he gets past forty. You know, and he goes and gets sixty, and it was absolutely insane. Like I said, that game meant something for Utah because if Utah would have won that game, I forgot who was the other team would have lost. Utah would have made the playoffs. Now that team lost at halftime of the Jazz Lakers game, so." Maybe they got told in the locker room, look, they won. So, you know, play, but like if Kobe comes off a screen, let him Kobe shoot it kind of thing, you know? It was kind of like the, the game had maybe lost a little meaning for Utah. That's never been confirmed or denied as far as I know in terms of did Utah kind of mail it in defensively in the second half because they knew their season was over. But Kobe went for 60. It was as amazing to watch. Uh, insane spectacular even um it was it was it was amazing so um just seeing those memories again man seeing that chuckle of him when he got his 60 uh seeing him coming off the screen and pulling up bringing the lakers back because they were down like eight or ten points on the day they, they were down late fourth and it's like he went and he's like his body you know like those movie clips were like you'll split mentally and like somebody like your other half will talk to you and y'all have a conversation and then they'll come back to one person in out and then outwardly they do that they got to do it was almost as if like he's the black mamba part of his brain split like shook off some cobwebs and stood in front of him it was like we got six minutes in us one last six minute run for glory one just one last run and they kind of knocked off the rust a little bit, knocked off some of the ice packs. You know, the Black Mamba kind of healed himself up a little bit and said, screw it, one last six-minute run. And just, like I said, just coming off a screen, knocking down jumpers, hitting contested threes, nailing them. Um, there was a couple moments he would hit the floor, he would get up limping, and they'd be like, oh, no, Kobe's limping. And he kind of would just shake it off 
and was able to come right back, nailing the free throws to get to 60. It was, like I said, amazing to see. It was crazy. And so I'm glad we got that moment with Kobe. I'm glad Kobe got that moment with his family, obviously before pa tragically passing away um, in the helicopter crash along with the others. Um, so that was amazing. It's that five-year anniversary of Mamba Day. Uh, insane. Truly insane. But that is all we have for today. I hope you guys enjoyed this Saturday edition of the show. Uh, we'll be back regularly scheduled program next week is the plan to be back Friday mornings. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed this Saturday edition of the show. Remember, we have expanded our social media profile to IG uh, under the handle, same handle as Twitter at JTime Sports. So definitely get a move on that and follow that along with telling your friends about us, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Uh, this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.